Ford had a terrible 2018. It wants to bury it and focus on the future. On this week's show, Ford's president of global markets, Jim Farley, talks about what they're doing and why. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. The topic of today's show is the Ford Motor Company. And the reason is because we've got Jim Farley, executive vice president and president of global markets for the Ford Motor Company. And Jim, great having you on the show here. It's a treat to be here with all of you. Also joining uh, me today, my colleagues, Paul Eisenstein from the DetroitBureau.com and Stephanie Brinley from IHS Market. And as always, great to have the both of you here. Thank with you. Jim, let's get right into it. Good. Uh, Ford announced that it's kind of mostly getting out of traditional sedans. Uh, in the U.S. market last year, your sales fell by around 90,000 units. Right. Toyota surpassed the company. Yep. Can you make that back up? I know you're coming out with the Ranger pickup truck. You're going to bring back the Bronco, but... Can you backfill the sales you've lost in sedans? Can you go past Toyota? Yeah, we think so. Uh, you know, the, the part that no one's seen yet is where did we deploy that capital? Uh, and we plan to grow our nameplates. Uh, they're just going to be very different kinds of vehicles. Uh, you mentioned Bronco. You know, we have a, um, some great choices. Uh, we have a couple of electric vehicles. Um, so nameplates people have never seen before. Uh, that will come behind these vehicles, and we absolutely plan to not only grow the sales, but also be a lot more profitable. And we have a few uh, surprises, too. So if, if you're looking at uh, the market five years from now, take that long, obviously, to really shake yep. everything out. Uh, we've traditionally had uh, bifurcated car, truck, and niches within. Uh, how will it shape up? If, you, if we're looking at mid-decade, what will it be? Will, it, will there be new bifurcations, new classes? Will there be a, a new type of crossover that's not sedan, but it's not light truck? Absolutely. So, uh, Paul, you can really see how the market's already changing. The price premium for kind of the commoditized crossovers, uh, they're coming down really quick. Um, and what that says is the car buyers, as they move into these crossovers, um, and there's all the, the capital being deployed with many new models. Um, the center of the crossover industry, which is now by far the biggest segment in the U.S. industry, yeah. is a very dangerous place to be. Um, so for Ford, our bet is to actually um, start to make our products more specialty feeling. Uh, so our crossovers, uh, authentic off-roaders, performance, we really don't want to be in the commoditizing part of the market. Larger vehicles, um, three-row, uh, those are the kind of bets you'll see from Ford using our iconic models, but maybe blowing out the number of, of them, not just having one but multiple, and having many more derivatives of each of those with different personalities. Um, so I do think, and we definitely already see the crossover industry changing. One of the other big changes that we may see is the vehicles getting smaller again. Uh, because the empty nest couples, there's more and more of them. You can clearly see they're driving small utilities in the U.S. There's more and more interest in smaller vehicles, maybe not as small as a B-sized, but maybe not as big as a C-sized. Um, and uh, you're starting to see that real experiment on the silhouette. I mean, it's definitely happening now. The silhouettes are coming down on these crossovers. It's harder to say what's a car and what's a crossover, to your right. point, right. Yeah. Um, because so many. And I think the trend really started in Europe. 
Um, you definitely see in Europe a lot more experimentation with that roof line, and we're starting to see that come to the U.S. But you're trying to avoid, if I read this right, getting into that sort of de the where we are now, sort of with this mid-sized car segment with 35, 40 name plates that are That's eating right. each other, That's right. um, and trying to figure out a way to to be much more diverse That's across spot the whole on. market. I mean, you know, when you look at what Ford's great at. We're great at when we lean into those iconic products mm -hmm. um, like Explore, Mustang, Bronco. Um, you know, we haven't explored those. We haven't put our shoulder into more specialty feeling uh, crossovers. Now we can do that, and I can't wait for everyone to see our first uh, show of that is going to be this first electric car. Um, and that really brings together a lot of our planning, frankly. That, that's the Mustang base. Yes. Well, you, you call it your first electric car. You've had electric cars. This is the first design from the ground up as an electric. That's right. It's an all-new platform. It's, um, it's got a whole new technology base, electrical architecture. The HMI is totally different. The design criteria, it's, it's really focused on performance. Um, When's it come out? Uh, next year. Next year, 2020. Yeah. Now, What's that, your sense of the electric car market? Because so far, the only one who's done any good at all is Tesla. Yeah. And if you take Tesla out of the equation, I mean, electric car sales are almost nowhere. Yeah. I, I, that is interesting. You know, August was a big deal because Tesla 3, I think, was the top revenue car in our industry. You know, think about that. <laughs> uh, price times volume. Um, you know, I, I have to say, one of the advantages of a bit waiting on the electric car is that first cycle product, we learn one thing, is that people just want the good stuff. They want emotional product that's more to, much more towards the high end. And, uh, and also, electrification of commercial vehicles. There is so much diversity in those 900,000 pickup trucks and you know, hundreds of thousands of vans we produce around the globe. There's so much diversity in drive cycle. There is a small group of people that have a drive cycle that's perfect for a BEV. Um, it's not for everyone. Uh, so I think the electrification of the commercial lineup and more of these performance vehicles fits right in our wheelbase as a brand, like Mustang, and it, and it makes sense, plus it drives profitability. So we have been waiting to hear whether or not there will be an actual tie-up between you guys and VW on electrification. You've mm -hmm. all but confirmed that. Most mm -hmm. of your folks have talked about that. Uh, they have the MEB which is their special platform. It'll do, what, about 80, 70 to 80% of their electric vehicles going mm -hmm. forward. Uh, will you be staying with your own platform, or do you think you're going to be winding up sharing the MEB for at least some products? It's a great question. You know, um, we're in different uh, uh, timings. You know, it's almost like snowboarding and skiing. We're a bit of a different uh, timing. They, I think, plan their EV platform, you know, a few years ago when their orientation is China and Europe. So the, 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 the size of MEB, the kind of electrical, the battery size, the motors, you know, are different uh, than, let's say, Ford, which is really leaning into this performance base. Their, their premium platform, the PPE, uh, is, you know, pretty expensive. And um, so I think we're, we're obviously pretty far down the road at seeing if there's a match, but it really comes down to the company's bet on where it plays. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they have an orientation, I said, in Europe with smaller, more affordable vehicles. Our bet is different than that. Our bet is on commercial vehicles and on performance vehicles. So we would only work together if we could find, you know, platforms 
um, where it makes sense. But, you know, to be honest, sharing a, a BEV platform and sharing an ICE platform, um, you know, aside for the electrical architecture complexities, there's a lot more similarities. The, the, the BEV platforms are digital vehicles. They're, it's really about math, you know, how big's your battery. Um, so on paper, it should be, you know, practical, but it comes down to where the companies bet. Can you talk a little bit about the difficulty in trying to, to maintain your investment in ICE vehicles and EV? I mean, you've got two strains. And then we throw t- connected car and some of the other technologies we were talking about earlier. You must be in all of our product planning meetings. <laughs> because, because this, to me, is one of the most important uh, jobs as, as executives is as deploying the capital. And we saw it forward what happens when we don't dedicate enough capital to freshness of our vehicle. We, we are in this very tricky time where we don't know what the adoption of BEV is. The governments have made their bets on CO2. And so, you know, when do you start to sunset an ICE vehicle in substitution? It's a lot easier for the premium brands because they operate at higher prices. Many of them have very large um, business in China and Europe that are going a little bit faster. And so for them, it's maybe that's probably the best proxy for all of us to watch because they're going to be making those, those trades uh, earliest. But at Ford, we are deep into that process. The answer is it all depends on how fast the adoption of electrification. That's really the ultimate question, because the, the vehicles you want to electrify, theoretically, are the higher-priced ones. Right. Uh, from a business and from an image standpoint, it makes sense. And so those are actually the very vehicles that are the most profitable ICE vehicles. Um, so this call by each of the brands is going to be really important. We're deep into the discussion. I think we have a great plan, and I would say this first BEV for us is a really big window into Ford's bet. This year, 2019, you guys have a flood of new products. I, I tried to write down some of them. Hallelujah. I don't know if I've got them all. <laughs> Lincoln Aviator, F-Series Heavy Duty, New Escape, New Explorer, Shelby GT500, yep. which is great. Yep. You should have a good year this year. How do you avoid three years from now being back in the trough? Because it tends to be a three-year cycle. It does. You're spot on. Uh, you know, Ford, uh, we had the capital to invest in a fresh new lineup. I think we were one of the first, maybe with the Koreans, to come out of the, uh, out of the recession with the freshest lineup. And boy, did we enjoy that. For several years, from 11, 12, 13, 14, as the industry grew, not only here but in China, that fresh lineup really served us well. Grew the top line, the profitability of the company, and the imagery of the brand. Um, and so it does go in. You know, we're at the depth. Last year was the depth of our product cycle. Um, and now we have this whole new proliferation coming not only for North America, but also in China, uh, where we've had a lot of struggles. So it's, it is going to be a really exciting year. I think it comes down to the discipline of your product planning process. You have to... Because there's so much pressure on capital now from AV and EV that didn't exist a couple years ago. But even deploying to, you know, really profitable projects, you can't subsidize projects anymore. So, you know, the the product planners have uh, it's what seems like almost an impossible task. If you delay products, if you don't make the right bet on the life cycle age, is it five years, is it six, is it four If you don't make those right bets, you know, you are going to lose in the marketplace. Um, And I I think what's, you know, actually, you know, being in the industry for 30 years, 
sometimes it feels like when you're making the best bets, you're not being rewarded immediately. Like people don't know what's exactly. happening. <laughs> uh, and I think over the last couple of years, we've been in that process at Ford where we've really leaned down the engineering. Um, Joe and Hal have done an amazing job with our, our cycle time and our efficiency of our engineering. And now we have a very, uh, very lean lineup for the next several years. It does come down to delays and cycle life length. And that comes down to the product planning process. You guys were one of the first, sorry, one of the first to get into the concept of mobility services. Mm -hmm. And uh, the former CEO liked to say you were a uh, mobility services company, not Mm -hmm. a car maker. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you seem to be taking a more cautious approach than your crosstown rival. GM is gung-ho. A lot of the money that they're going to be saving from all these cuts, they say, will go right into autonomous and electric. You're a little more slow about adopting electric and, from what I gather, a little more cautious about autonomous. Can you, can you talk I think, about that? you know, the, the theme at Ford I would hope that would come across um, is that we want to play to win. We don't want to play to play. We don't want to play to get a headline. We want to play to win. And that means sometimes, especially with the new technology space, is really taking your time to verify the model, not only the technology piece of it, like in level four automation, but also what's your marketplace play? Are you going to co-op the revenue with someone else or are you going to try to be a customer-facing ride-hailing brand? These are huge bets in terms of capital and it's not clear how the market's going to evolve yet in in autonomy in terms of the marketplace um, bet. So I think at Ford, you know, we are very focused on standing up the technology piece of this with Argo, to have the best perception, the best algorithms to get and outperform a human. Um, But then we also are testing in these markets, and boy have we learned, you know, in Miami, how complicated running these businesses are. Mm -hmm. Um, And and do we want to be a customer-facing ride-hailing brand, for example, or not? It's a huge bet. We can make headlines and you know, um, make a lot of noise externally, but we're taking our time. I think mobility is the same. You know, we started with Chariot and and a lot of other initiatives. We found that the non-emergency medical transport, moving people to the doctor's office who have appointments that can't get around themselves, it's been a hugely profitable, great business. It's not going to make frontline news, um, but it's, it's, we've really learned how to evolve because we're putting the pressure on ourselves to make a business work, not for headlines, but in the real world. Um, I think our approach is going to prove to be, um, you know, the most valuable, I think. Well, and it, you've said it, that you don't know where the marketplace is really going to be, and I think that there isn't a single answer yet. Yep. I mean, at That's this right. point, we're just trying to figure out how to make sure the technology works. Um, and, and the consumers, I mean, those are the wild card. You know, we can model out what we think people will do and, and what directions we think they'll go, but I can guarantee you they're going to do something we don't expect. In the Farley household, this is one of the heated topics where my kids are like, thumbs up, and my wife's like, no way. <laughs> I mean, every household, in the, you're right, the consumer piece of this is hard to handicap, just like EVs. The most important thing, though, is that you deploy the capital, you have competitive technology, and, you, and you're open-minded about how the market will move. And that's why I think our partnership on EVs eventually, or alliances, whatever they may be, Paul, uh, or our partnerships on mobility are really key. You know, uh, we've learned a lot from Domino's, from Postmates. Mm. 
Uh, these companies have taught us a lot about how their business model works. We don't know about their business. So to your point, having good relationships, um, alliances, and just watching the market and making sure you have the best technology. We don't want to get caught flat-footed on the capability side. Jim, what happened with Chariot? You, you have this shuttle van service yep. on demand, you know, uh, yep. app-driven. You started in San Francisco, expanded it here to the Detroit area, mm -hmm. and everybody said how great it was until the day that you guys killed the program. Yeah. What, what did you learn that you went, oh, this isn't going to work? Well, I think that the thing, this is, um, you know, we have to be careful in our industry to hold um, the car companies accountable for uh, going into new businesses and then have the understanding that the businesses change and maybe they aren't as profitable as you think. What, what's really interesting is that the value of, of, of Chariot is our dispatch system. All the things that we can reuse on non-emergency medical transport or even AV level four. We learned a ton of how to dispatch vehicles, how to price dynamically. Um, but the fact of the matter is we didn't believe there was a long-term profit play, and it wasn't strategically key for us. Um, we think that there are others like non-emergency uh, medical services or, frankly, telematics business that we're doing with the police uh, organizations because we're the number one police vehicle. And, and more and more of them are coming to us saying, with these connected police vehicles, what kind of services can you provide us? That, that feels like, as the market changes, it's a better strategic play. I mean, we loved Chariot. It, we all felt really passionate about it, but we just didn't see a long-term viability or strategy. But that doesn't mean that we didn't learn a ton and apply those learnings to other mobility businesses. How much of your revenue, when you start pricing out strategies over a decade, how much of the, the business of Ford Motor Company might come from non-traditional, as in making and selling on the retail and some commercial markets, uh, your cars? Well, I think, you know, when you, when you really look at it, um, no one really knows, but it's meaningful. Um, and for me, one of the most exciting, meaningful revenue opportunities is just, um, you know, the connected car. We've seen Tesla and other brands really transform loyalty to a brand through a connected mm -hmm. car. They've, I think they're probably transforming their own understanding of costs and usage of the vehicle. Um, for me, Paul, that revenue opportunity or reduction in cost of marketing or the, the actual quality improvement or cost reduction of the vehicle could be enormous. I mean, big, big number of zeros that could really help our margins. Um, and I, I think it's big enough. That's why we're deploying the capital. Uh, at level four automation is kind of more of a very large disruptive change. Uh, and you don't want to. You don't want to not be one of those platform players. We think there may be two or three that are winners uh, outside of China. You don't. You want to be one of those two or three players uh, on the technology side. But no, it's meaningful. It's really meaningful. The issue is when you deploy the capital today. Our business is selling F Series and Explorers and Transit vans in Europe and Rangers in Thailand. Um, how much do you deploy uh, against, you know, those kind of valuable projects? Because we have always have an infinite list of really cool ideas, like <laughs> we need a Raptor Ranger in the U.S., you know, that we know. And you do. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah you do. I know. We have a long list of those kind of cool projects. Um, but at some point, you know, you have to secure that future, too. And that, that's, uh, I think, the essence of your question. We don't know. 
But I'd say with the connected car, it could be huge. So the connected car, too, though, as you, you've talked about that being a loyalty play as well, um, there's been conversation about, you know, if we're at L4 and it's mm -hmm. just dialing up the car, how do you interact with that and keep that loyalty in the consumer? So you're saying you've got an opportunity there to help bridge that, that gap into whatever these mobility services end up really looking like? Yes. And, you know, let's talk about Ford. Ford's not a same car company as everywhere, every other. The heart and soul of our excellence is like commercial vehicles everywhere. We're number two globally on Ranger, right behind Toyota Hilux. We're number one in vans globally, and we're number one in pickup trucks, um, uh, full-size pickup trucks in the U.S. So we had this glorious, like, commercial truck business, and it usually gets stronger when things get difficult. And the chance to, to those customers are the most likely to pay for connected services, because those vehicles are tools. Yeah. They can't afford them to be off the road. Many of them are small businesses, and the chance to train their drivers on how to drive well, to save cost on gas, or to dispatch them more intelligently so they get that extra job done, uh, ring the cash register one more time in the day, they're going to pay a lot more than, a, than a, you know, just a regular passenger car customer. So I would say for us, um, the connected car, especially like commercial vehicles, is a huge opportunity. Jim, your title includes global markets. Mm. I almost got to believe that your job's harder now in the sense that if you go back a decade ago at Ford and at many other companies, uh, but at Ford specific, it was the whole idea was one Ford. Yep. We're going to do everything exactly the same wherever yep. it is in the world. We're going to have the exact same products. We're going to save a ton of money. And now the world's changing again. And, you know, past car sales have been cratering in the United States. They're slowing down elsewhere in the world, but yeah. not like they are here. That's correct. Aren't you starting to see your products require more regional attention than they did, say, a decade ago? Spot on. Absolutely. The great thing is the, the light commercial business is uh, very pretty common to be, believe it or not, a two-ton transit, uh, rear-wheel drive transit here in, in Germany or, you know, same box. Um, but when it comes to past car sales and, and uh, what, what's selling, it's absolutely changing. But our strategy is changing, too. I mean, our ambitions and what, we, what our business is going to look like in South America or in Europe is very different. Europe's going to be very much like commercial vehicles, uh, and in South America will be very much commercial vehicles with some utilities. So um, not only do we have the customers changing, but where we select to compete is also changing, and that is becoming more regional too. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what's great is that we've worked together as a team to define those five architectures that we think are just the minimum you can get by to have that global uh, variance, and we're starting to work with partners to help us with the big investments, like um, not only VW, but also Mahindra. So what are you doing with Mahindra? I keep hearing Mahindra this and Mahindra that. Yeah. I don't know any specifics at all. Well, you know, Mahindra and Ford, uh, we, we had a list. I asked, you know, the team said, okay, what are all the partnerships we had in the past, which worked really well <laughs> and which didn't, and of the ones that didn't, give us a list of why. And, and the top of that list was you got to pick the right projects. If you pick the wrong projects, they are going to fail. And um, so one of the uh, big critical business issues for us is India. We think India, you know, perhaps one of the lowest revenue markets in the world, tough, fantastic customers. Um, 
we've never been successful in India. We had a partnership with Mahindra um, uh, in the past. It didn't work out for a variety of reasons. But so we went to them and we said, we want to work with you on our India business. Nothing more ambitious than that. And uh, we said, okay, let's develop a vehicle together. Let's develop an electrical vehicle together because India is starting to, to make mm-hmm. the electrification journey. And, uh, and also let's work together on sourcing logistics, you know, kind of benchmarking the industrial system of the company. Holy cow. That was an eye-opener. When we saw how they run their business and how we run their business, our business, it was an eye-opener. There were a few things, by the way, that Ford uh, did really well that they were like, oh, hold on a second here. Maybe we should use that supplier here. But generally speaking, um, it has been an eye-opening experience on how we can compete in India and win. And uh, we're really excited now about these joint vehicle that we're developing together. It may have application outside of India. We'll see. EcoSport in the U.S. is made in India. Um, so, you know, you don't know where these things are going to go. We're starting um, slowly. But, uh, you know, when you go and visit uh, Powan and the team, in, in, uh, the, first of all, they own tractors. I mean, they are the number one tractor supplier, so they know rural worlds, rest of the world, better than anyone. They have dealer networks everywhere. They know those customers, and they use the word frugal in literally every other sentence, <laughs> and that is a really good thing. So, uh, so, so you, just starting. So do you see opportunities with them here in the United States? Uh, because it's clear that they want to manufacture. They want to have a dealer network in the U.S. Uh, they have that small plant just uh, just not too far from here where they're producing an off-roader, yeah. and they'd like to have an on-road version. And we, we need sort of a fast answer. We're down yeah. to the last so, minute. So uh, too early to tell. We want to, you know, one of the things uh, a little bit down the list was, like, don't get ambitious too quickly. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we're going to get the India business right working with them, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But certainly the opportunity exists. But, you know, the attributes for Indian customers are really different than North America. So it would have to be, uh, it would have to be a real joint effort uh, from engine controls and NBH. You know, there's a lot that they would say we would, their idea of a really important export market would be Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this uh, North America's, you know, a big move. With that, we're going to have to wrap it up. Jim, fascinating discussion. I, I think we only scratched the surface, but I feel like I know a lot more about the Ford Motor Company. Great. Thank you for thank that. You. Thank you. Thank you. Paul, Stephanie, thank you guys, too. Thank you. And as I always say, I want to thank all of you for having tuned in.